And what a wonderful message to sing about today, right? That's why we're here, church, and I want to make sure that we all are mindful of that as we enter into a time of digging into God's Word, that it is by grace we are redeemed and we are restored. And I think that's such a, an important reminder for us in terms of why you're here. You're not here out of habit. You're not here out of routine. You're not here just because you wanted to try something different. You're here because of the grace of God. So we all know that at some point in our life, we're overwhelmed by the brokenness of this world, right? We see it manifest itself in so many different ways and so many different levels, and we long for a way to be rescued from it. We long for a way out. We long for a way to be set free. But the reality is, is that we know there's really nothing we can do because that brokenness doesn't just exist around us, it exists within us. And there's nothing we can do to find that rescue that we long for, which is where we meet grace, right? That God's so rich in his love for you and for me, took on flesh and dwelled among us in the person of Jesus. And Jesus showed us the links of God's compassion to the point that he was willing to sacrifice his life on a cross. And as he absorbed the pain and the punishment that we deserved, the death that we deserved, it was there that we found grace overflowing. Three days later, he's resurrected from the grave and he demonstrates that he didn't just suffer to the point of death he actually triumphed over death and so that this promise of grace does more than just forgive us it adopts us as sons and daughters and that's the hope that we've gathered to sing about today that's the grace that redeems and restores and so i pray that if it's one that you have never received i pray that today you would you would confess your need for it. You'd acknowledge him as a Lord and Savior and that you would truly find that redemption and restoration that is so valuable. And if you have prayed that, if you have experienced it before, then be encouraged by it once again today. That's why we're here, by the incredible, life-changing grace of our God and our Father. And so with that in mind, let's go to him in a spirit of prayer and gratitude. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we do thank you for this incredible, amazing grace. Father, that we can gather together as brothers and sisters declaring our redemption, our restoration. I know that there are so many things that people bring into church on a Sunday morning. And may we find what our hearts are longing for. May we find that forgiveness. May we find that freedom. May we find that healing, that restoration that allows our souls to sing of your praises. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gift of the cross. We thank you for the responsibility to champion that message everywhere that you would send us. And so, Father, let us commit to it both today and forevermore. And so as we prepare to open your word, God, open our hearts and our minds to receive it in such a way that it helps us to better understand this grace that we can be the ambassadors that you call us to be. We thank you for this time. We now surrender and commit it all to you and to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, good morning, church. How is everybody? Y'all doing well today? Yep, let's try it again. How are we doing today? Y'all doing well? There it is. Okay, good. I want to make sure everybody's awake. It's good to see you all. 
this morning. Uh, we continue to enjoy just a beautiful fall season so far, and I hope that you are enjoying it. I hope today is a true Sabbath day for you. I hope today you find some rest and you have an opportunity to truly worship your God and your Savior. Uh, I do want to acknowledge a few things here on the front end of our time together. Uh, obviously, we're coming off of a historic week in our country. I know we had a chance to, to follow uh, the election the last few days, and I know anytime you bring up politics in our culture, it creates a little bit of tension and a little uneasiness, it's even more so when you bring it up in church, and yet I'm doing it. Uh, and, and the reason is, is because despite some of the animosity that we see and some of the conflict that we see in the world of politics today, I, I want us to not gloss over some of the tremendous blessings that we were, had a chance to observe this past week as well. We had record numbers of people turning out to exercise their right to vote, and in large in part, uh, peacefully, right, with any, any real demonstration of violence or protest or oppression, and all in the middle of a pandemic. That's pretty awesome, right? So regardless of how any of us feel, that, that's pretty remarkable. And the reason I bring it up is because that freedom and that benefit uh, comes at a cost, right? It, it was secured and, and, and purchased for us through the brave, service of so many men and women who have served this country faithfully. And I, I mentioned that to you this morning because Veterans Day is right around the corner, and I want to make sure that we're mindful of the many men and women who have helped secure and protect and provide that freedom that we all just enjoyed and benefited from this past week. And so uh, I know uh, not everyone in here represents our church. We've got several of you at home, but I, I just want to ask here at the beginning of the service if anyone is in fact a veteran and has served in, in the military or is currently serving, or if you know somebody in your family, would you please stand so we can acknowledge you? I don't know if anyone in our service this morning fits that category. We have several. All right. Yes, put our hands together. Thank you all so much for your service and your hard work. We know there are many more at home uh, that we want to demonstrate that appreciation to as well. And so just make sure that you move forward in that spirit of gratitude uh, throughout this week. A couple other reminders as we, as we begin our time together this morning. You heard uh, April mentioned the discipleship groups focused on recovery. I just want to reiterate that message that we're really excited about those groups. And, and just to, to, to capture that message again, that it's not just focused on struggling with addictions. Yes, that is something that can apply, but it really is recovery from anything. And, and I would be willing to venture a guess that it would really be uh, beneficial for any of us to consider that. So if you're in a season in your life where you hear on a Sunday morning and you're, you're saying, hey, I, I hear the need to serve here and I hear that you want us to do this, but man, I just have got so much in my life that I'm trying to sort through and overcome. I, I'm in a season where I just need healing. Uh, man, if that's you, these would be great groups for you. And so contact Caroline and she can help get you some more information along those lines. A another reminder of something that's very true to the season is as we approach Thanksgiving, we often do the season of blessing where we try to provide Thanksgiving meals to families that are in need. We've been serving our community really since the pandemic by focusing on several neighborhoods uh, that are, are near the schools that we often work with. And we've been delivering food each week. And so we're going to do that continually into the season of Thanksgiving where we want to bless most of those homes, all those homes with Thanksgiving type groceries and meals. But what that means is that logistically we won't deliver groceries on the week of Thanksgiving because so many folks will be gone and out of town. So we're gonna make those deliveries on November 18th, the week before. And we're gonna try to hit all of our homes. We usually alternate weeks, but we're gonna try to hit all of our homes on that Wednesday, which means we could use a couple more volunteers. We typically rely on three to four uh, deliverers that go and take the food out uh, on an, any given week. We're gonna probably need around eight 
or so on, on that Wednesday. So if you're interested in doing something like that and, and going out and delivering groceries and food to this community, uh, then mark out November 18th. What you could do is get on our website. We have a little COVID response volunteer section of our website, and we've got several things that we're doing for the community, and embedded in that is a description on the food distribution efforts, and there will be a little link that you can click that'll take you to the sign-up form, and so just mark that down if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, another thing for the fall season that you heard Matt reference at the beginning is that today is Orphan Sunday. Uh, we love to set this day aside in the life of our church because we think it's a very important responsibility of the church to fight for and advocate for the fatherless and for the orphan. And so you'll be hearing more of that uh, here in just a little bit in our message today. Uh, but it's a part of this theme that you can see is the point of emphasis for us today as we think through the month of November as being a global emphasis and a missions emphasis and going out into the community and the world to be uh, the church, the salt and light that God has called us to be. And so we look forward to having that conversation today with you as well. So grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, please let us know. We'll be happy to gift one to you. Uh, as soon as we possibly can. Now, as we continue through this discourse, we've been using Matthew chapter 10 through this series, uh, really through September, excuse me, October and November. And I wanna make sure that we kind of understand the flow of the conversation, because a lot of times when you slow down and you look at it just a couple of verses at a time and sometimes have to mix the order around, you can lose the forest through the trees. And so let me step back and make sure you understand the flow of what Jesus is saying at this point. Jesus has called his 12 disciples and he's given them authority. Remember that? He's entrusted them with his power to go and cure diseases and cast out demons and declare the good news of the kingdom. And as he's given them this authority, he's also provided several instructions on how to do it. Here's where you go. Here's where you can't go. Here's uh, what you can take with you. Here's what you need to do. Once you stay there, he's given them all these instructions. And it's in the midst of these instructions that he begins to allude to the fact that there will be resistance, right? Not everyone is going to welcome you in. Right? So here's what you do when that happens. And that theme of resistance kind of gives way to this longer conversation about persecution and the suffering and, and the oppression that the disciples can anticipate as being a part of his followers. Right? He begins to talk about persecution that will result in them actually being flogged in the synagogues, being arrested and brought before governors and kings. Right? That this persecution is actually not even going to just be resigned to the governing authorities, but it's going to be found in the home. Right? Brother against brother and father against child and children against parents. It's going to tear apart even the most intimate places of the community. And so he begins to explain the severity of this persecution. He, he gives them a reason for why it's going to occur, alluding to his own suffering, right? alluding to his own oppression that he's about to face, saying, listen, you're, no student is above their teacher. So if, if I'm going to endure it, so will you. And as he's offering this rationalization, this reason for the suffering, he then gives them a response. Here's how you need to respond to the resistance and the oppression that awaits you. Don't be afraid. And I love that. How many times do we come to the scripture and see that word from God? Don't be afraid. It's a powerful reminder. And so Jesus elaborates on this promise of not having to fear by giving them three distinct reasons why they why they don't have to have fear. And we talked about the first two last week. The first one was, what is hidden will be disclosed. What is, what is whispered will be proclaimed from the rooftops. This question of, of who am I, right? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior? Is this the kingdom? Is he the one that God promised? All those things that people are wondering and that we're having to whisper about right now, it will be made known, right? It will be declared and you're gonna be able to shout it from the rooftops. And that's exactly what happens, right? 
So, so that's the one thing. Jesus is essentially indirectly saying, I am who I say I am. You can trust me, right? Don't fear, I am the Messiah. The second reason is don't fear those who can hurt the body but can't touch the soul. And no matter what kind of oppression you may experience, no matter what harm you may encounter, don't fear those that can touch the body but cannot touch the soul. Rather, fear the one who can touch both. Right? Those are the two reasons that Jesus has offered thus far in this conversation as to why we can face resistance and hardship without fear. And today, we're gonna look at the third one. So if you wanna follow along with me in Matthew chapter 10, we're gonna pick it up in verse 29 and just read these final three verses of this paragraph. Here's what Jesus says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, for you are worth more than many sparrows. All right, I love the simplicity and yet kind of the uniqueness with which Jesus makes this third point as to why we don't need to fear the oppression and the resistance that we're going to experience in the world. All right, so he brings in this conversation about a sparrow. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how much you know about sparrows. I didn't really know anything about sparrows other than they were a bird, okay? And so when I, when I read a passage like this, I go, okay, uh, uh, a sparrow, whatever. And it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. But upon a little bit more research, I think there are some important connections we need to make in terms of how this would have been perceived at the time in which Jesus is saying this, in, in particular in the Judaic culture. So the sparrow, as you can see from the text, was very cheap. You could buy two for one penny. Right? It's a pretty good deal. Right? It's a great bargain. And, and so as a result, the poor, the impoverished, they were the ones that were typically buying sparrows at the markets for, for food. Okay? And so essentially, what he's trying to say is that this was not a well-valued commodity. Right? There, there was no real significance attributed to it. Let me, let me make a connection for you. Right? It wasn't like the elite of Israel and the upper class of Jerusalem were gathering together, socializing and saying, man, I ate at Ruth's Chris last night. Have you tried the sparrow there? Right, like that conversation was not taking place, okay? It was, it was not anywhere on the realm of consideration for them. It was incredibly insignificant and inconsequential. It had no value, right? And so in our translation, it says you can buy two for a penny. So you can even make a connection in today's well, I don't know how you feel when you come across a penny. There, there was a season in my life when I was younger when I found pennies, man, I picked them up. Why? Because all the day you'd have good luck, especially if it was on heads, correct? So I used to like search for the penny in the parking lot and get so excited. Nowadays, you don't see me doing that. Like I just walk right by them, not even concerned about it. I will even shamelessly tell you that I, I will be cleaning my house and I will be sweeping our floors and as I'm sweeping up leaves and dust and dirt, if I see a penny, on the ground, I'm like, eh, and just keep on swiveling it. I just don't care, right? That's what Jesus is saying. This is how the sparrow was viewed at this point in time. It had no value. It was overlooked. It went without notice. Nothing inconsequential, right? And, and so with that being established, think about how remarkable it is, is what Jesus says next. And yet... Not one of them falls to the ground beyond your father's care. That's incredible. Right? The things that the culture would say is insignificant, inconsequential, that goes unnoticed, God notices. God sees them. Right? And, and the way in which that this is described, it speaks to his sovereignty. 
right? That there is nothing that escapes his notice. Now notice how Jesus is describing this. He uses the word father, right? A term of endearment, a term of intimacy, a reminder to his disciples that you serve more than just some distant deity or some arbitrary creator. You, you serve a father, right? And he sees you like a father. And not one of these sparrows falls to the ground outside the father's care. That word means knowledge or consent, right? So, so essentially what Jesus is saying is that the sovereignty of God sees all things, though you may not notice it, though you may see it as invaluable or inconsequential, God sees everything, right? Part of what Jesus is trying to establish for his disciples is that God isn't only gonna concern himself with what we would consider the big or large events in life. He sees all the details, and so we won't escape his sovereignty, right? And so then, to make sure that he brings that point even further home, he brings this statement about the sparrows into a comparison to us, right? And he says, not only will they not fall to the ground beyond his father's care, but every single hair on your head is numbered. And so now he's making this contrast to not just God's attention to the sparrow, but God's attention to us. Right? He knows every hair that is numbered. That's pretty remarkable. He's created this picture of, of a parent, a parental's care for their child. And that's something that I think a lot of times we can relate to. If you ever had conversations with new parents, and it's not like first time parent that has like the newborn and the toddler, man, they know everything about that firstborn. Like everything, They'll, you'll talk to him and he'll be like, yeah, man, like he smiles just this weird way. And then after lunch, he always makes this weird noise at 3.33 p.m. every single time, you know, and they just like know all the details. And then you get more kids and you get older in your life and, you know, as they get further down their line, you're like, oh, there he is, you know, and you kind of <laughs> pay attention. But for those first moments, you're really involved. You know every detail. And that, that shows you a parent's interest. And here's what's so cool about that. I went through that season with my firstborn, right? We knew every little detail as we were growing into that role of being a parent. Not one time did I count the number of hairs on his head. Not one time. Here's the point. As much detail and concern we can see in our earthly relationships of parents to children, it pales in comparisons to God's love and attention for you. It doesn't even come close. I want to make sure we don't miss that this morning. I want to just run by that. I want to remind you of even the words of the psalmist who describes the level of intimacy and attention that God extends to us. In Psalm 139, starting in verse 13, here's what we read. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, oh, that's incredible. And I believe it's a message that so many of us probably need to hear, right? Because a lot of times we can go through life and we can sense that God is distant, feels like he's uncaring, right? We, we face resistance, we face oppression, opposition, hardship, trial, whatever it, whatever it might be, and it's in those moments oftentimes that we, we wonder, where is God? Is he here? Is he with me? 
Is he paying attention? Maybe that's you. Maybe that's exactly the sort of season that you're in, that you've brought into this room today. And part of what we need to be reminded of are words of what we just heard here from, from Jesus and words that we hear here from the psalmist. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows everything about you. Don't ever question the level to which he is concerned and caring about you. Right? And so Jesus emphasizes that point even further. Right, so he's, he's made the statement about the hairs on the head. He's made the statement about the sparrows. And then he says, you are worth more than many sparrows. Right, I love the translation April mentioned. You're worth more than a million canaries. Right? There's, there's, there's nothing that comes close. And what I love about that statement is that simple phrase that's embedded in that last verse, you are worth more. Such a great reminder. Because you'll go through seasons in life where you question your worth. You go through junior high and high school and you have these moments of feeling isolated and alone or bullied or or all those different things that make you wonder if if anybody cares about you. You you take that into college and you have these comparison games where you try to evaluate how you stand up against a peer and is my degree as important? Are they doing better than I am? Am I really getting the same sort of success? Am I going to really have the career that I want and I just don't have what this person has? And then you you have it into adulthood, all seasons of life. You go through seasons where you just don't have what the other person has, or maybe it didn't materialize with the dreams coming to fruition the way that you wanted them to, and then you feel isolated, you feel alone. As you get older in life, you feel forgotten at times, and what we need to hear over and over and over again is the words of our Father, the words of our Savior saying, you are worth more. You're worth more than your current set of circumstances. I hope that that's something every single one of you takes to heart this morning. It really is a passage about self-worth and how we materialize and manufacture and understand self-worth. And and I want to kind of elaborate on that for a moment and make sure that, that we all understand that the greatest way for us to understand our worth is really not even understanding how we see ourselves and how others see ourselves, but how God sees us. That's where it begins, right? We have all these other metrics and measurements in life that we often use on ourselves, and what really matters is what God says about us, who he says we are. And so take these verses to heart. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every single one of you, you are worth more than your set of circumstances. But too often, we lose sight of that, right? And we, we run astray and we begin to define our self-worth by all these other metrics that are incredibly unhealthy, right? We'll, we'll measure our sense of self-worth by our looks, our appearances, right? Our successes, our accomplishments. We even have the phrase net worth so that we can add up how much we've accumulated, how much we own, how much we earn to describe our value in society, Think of all the ways that we define worth that is very unhealthy and shallow. Right? Even, let me give you a couple examples. Let's talk about photography for a moment and how instrumental photography can be in helping establish self-worth. Let's think about the selfie. Right? We, we have a whole generation now and, and really a whole culture now that kind of thrives on the selfie. And think about what we're saying somewhat indirectly with the selfie. Right? We take the picture, and part of what we're saying is, 
Look at where I'm at. Isn't this cool? It's pretty awesome. Look at who I'm with. Aren't they cool? Pretty awesome. Look at how I look. Pretty cool. Pretty awesome. And we take this picture, and it's not like we print it out and put it in a picture frame and set it up somewhere in our house for us to remember, remember good memories. No, we, we put it out there for the world to see, and then we watch as it gets rated. How many likes, how many hearts, how many shares, how many comments, what else? And all of that indirectly speaks to how we're defining self-worth. It's, it's incredibly insignificant, right? And it's misleading. And yet, photography can actually be incredibly powerful in establishing a sense of self-worth. I was thinking about that this week, because you, as you head into Thanksgiving, if you're like my family, you have a lot of conversations about the Christmas card. Anybody else having Christmas card conversations yet? Yeah, we are in our home. We talked about it a lot this week. And it's interesting tradition that apparently we we go through this habit of taking Christmas pictures each year and then sending them out to our friends in case they've forgotten what we look like and just be like, hey, here we are again, Merry Christmas. And so we, we have a lot of family photos being taken in our home. And you can learn a lot by a family photo. And so I thought I would come and share a few family photos from my life, some from my childhood and some from my present day. And so let me, let me show you some of the family photos that I grew up with. Here's a picture of me as a young boy. All right, with mom and dad. Now, I've told y'all before that I've, my parents divorced when I was younger, and so I, I don't have the full representation here. I don't have all the step-parents and additional step-brothers and step-sisters and family reunions, but this is what I saw a lot growing up. You know, I had consistent reminders of my place with mom and dad and with my sister, which, side note, every time I look back at old photos, I stop and I think, okay, what is it about today's photos that are gonna really stand out? Because every time you look at old photos, they're just so weird looking. I, here, it's probably the hairstyle, right? I don't know, something. Either way, it stands out. Something's gonna be uh, something that we look back on as well with the pictures that we take today. But this is what I saw growing up. This is me as a boy. This is me learning my role as a son. Now, fast forward many, many years. Let me show you the most recent family picture for us. This is a picture that we had taken about a year or so ago for my wife's and mine's 15-year anniversary. And uh, it was a way for us just to capture. This is where we are 15 years into our relationship and into our marriage. There we are with our three with our three kiddos. And, and it's a really great picture that we have prominently displayed in our home. Uh, we have it right up above our fireplace on the mantle, and it's one, it's one that everyone sees every single day. Now, I say this to you because as I was thinking about family pictures and the role that photography plays in self-worth, I stumbled across this blog. that was a photographer's blog that talked about just how significant family photos can play in the development of a child's self-confidence, right, and what it actually does. In fact, it was this blog that was called Design Aglow, and they interviewed several uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, who talked about how they use family photography in some of their sessions with clients. They talked to a, a man by the name of David Krauss, who's a licensed psychologist from Cleveland, Ohio, one of the, the earliest pioneers in this area of uh, family photography and how it can help speak to self-worth and, and value. And he talks about the importance of having these photos because it helps establish kids in a family unit. He, he also, or the blog also interviewed a, a psychologist by the name of Judy Weiser, who is an art therapist for more than 20 years. Here's what she said about it. She said, when a child sees a family portrait with them included in the photograph, they say to themselves, hey, these people have me as part of what they are. That's why I belong here. This is where I come from. And so Krauss and others will say, this is actually a really important tool to use in your home, right? Have them up throughout your house. Even, he even goes so far as to say, put one up in your in your children's bedroom. Let it be one of the first things that they see in the morning, one of the last things that they see at night because it's a message that tells them, this is where I belong. Somebody loves me. Somebody cares for me. I'm important. 
and it gives them that sense of self-worth, which leads me to one of my favorite family photos that I gotta share with you this morning. This is a photo that we showed, or that we took when we first met our youngest son, David Wu. And uh, for many of you, you know that we adopted David uh, several, almost two years ago now, and this is the picture when we first met him. And I don't know how well you can see it here in the sanctuary for those of you at home, but I love going back and looking at these, this picture and looking at all the expressions on our faces. And what it's capturing is that moment where we as a family are trying to tell this young boy, we love you, you belong here. And it transitioned to this, this wonderful photo that he got to have with his siblings that to me kind of says it all, we're, we're family. Right? And, and we hope that as, as David Wu grows older and continues to wrestle with his circumstances and his beginnings, photos like these and the many others that I've shown you this morning will help him see, yes, I, I belong, I have a place, I'm cared for, I'm loved. Right? This is what relationships that God has given us within the family can do. This is why in this passage in particular, God refers to him, so Jesus refers to God as a father. You and I have been invited into this family experience with a loving creator. Now, we don't have a chance to capture that in some photo necessarily, but it's the, the message is still the same and that needs to absolutely drive our sense of self-worth. And so two things that I wanna make sure that we understand this morning. The first is that no matter who you are, no matter what situation and circumstances you bring in here today, you are loved. You belong, you have value. You are worth more than your set of circumstances. And the more we receive that message and the more we find comfort in that message, the greater security and greater understanding we find ourselves within the love of our Father. But at the same time, as we receive that hope, it's a reminder that the task of the church is to be sent out and to carry that message as well. Right, that, that because we've received it, that's the same message we declare, we have been sent out to the forgotten. We have been sent out to the overlooked, to the areas of the community in the world that often go unnoticed, that are often seen as being invaluable, and we walk into those moments and into those places and say, no, actually, you're loved. He cares for you. You are worth more than your current set of circumstances. Now, we can do that in a variety of different ways, church, but on a day like today, it's important for us to give greater consideration of what that looks like when we are sent to the orphan and the fatherless. I want you to think about how many children are going to bed each night and waking up each morning wondering, where do I belong? Who loves me? Am I valuable? How many children don't have those sorts of pictures? And, and the impact that that's having on them. The way that those feelings of being forgotten and going unnoticed, what it's, what it's doing to them. When we see so many different statistics that are very troubling and concerning that I wanna call your attention to today. When you think about those who've gone through the foster care system, more than 74% will end up in prison. One in five will become homeless after the age of 18. Less than 3% will earn a college degree. <clears throat> 71% of the young women in the foster care system will be pregnant by the age of 21. Another statistic that I came across indicates that around 60% of those who are victimized through the, uh, the work of human trafficking often come from the foster care system. A study that was done by Harvard in 2005 
indicated that those who come through the foster care system are twice as likely, let me say that again, twice as likely to suffer from PTSD than a veteran coming home from Iraq. That's the sort of trauma these children are going through. That's the sort of trauma that you experience when you live a life where you're constantly being told you're overlooked, you're unnoticed. Right? This is the, the segment of our society and our culture that is longing to be told you're worth more than your set of circumstances. And that's exactly what we've been entrusted to do as the church. So, so what is the task at hand? Right, well, well, let me just go ahead and, and paint a picture for you, okay? The task at hand is that there's at least 120,000 children in the foster care system in our country that are waiting to be adopted. Right, not just in the foster care system, those that are waiting to be adopted, waiting to find a home, waiting to find a family photo. Now, that's too large of a number for us to undertake individually or even collectively as a church, so let's try to narrow it down. And, and several organizations that we've partnered with would say that, you know, if you look at your community, there's around 340 children. 340 children in our community that are waiting to find some form of a family. Now, that's a little bit more tangible. That's something that we can begin to get our minds wrapped around. So how do we do that? How do we respond to that? Well, let me give you a couple suggestions, okay? I, I know that a, a, a problem, not necessarily a problem, a common thought whenever we have this conversation, because I've, I've, I've had this. Anytime we've spoken about it or preached about adoption, I, I guarantee you that somewhere along the way in follow-up, I'm gonna have a conversation where somebody comes up to me and says, man, that is so convicting and gut-wrenching. I, I know I don't personally feel called to it, but I know there's something I wanna do. And so let's, let's think about that sort of response. There, here's what I would say if that's kind of where your heart is, is what's my next step? Well, number one, I would say, well, maybe you are called to it. <laughs> maybe you actually are. I know it's hard, I know it's scary, but maybe that's exactly what God's calling you to do. So, so make sure you at least commit to pray through that and sense it and test it out, right? Because I would love to, one of the things we've talked about as a staff and I'm, I'm beginning to, to lean into a little bit more and more is for us as a church to begin to pray for at least five families within the next year to rise up and say, we'll take on an orphan. We'll take on the fatherless. We'll, we'll open up our home and to step into that. And what, what a way for us to lead out into this need as a church family. So that's number one. Maybe you are called to it. But I, I will acknowledge fully that, that we have different giftings, right? We, we all come from different seasons of life where actually bringing in a child in your home is not reasonable or practical or understandable. And so I know that's not the only option. I'm just saying you need to ask yourself and take that to God first. But for those of us that maybe would say, okay, but I, I know that that's really not an option for me, then what is my next step? Well, what I would tell you is that the next step is advocacy, right? That you could advocate for the fatherless in so many different ways. And that's part of what we're gonna spend some time here as we begin to wrap that up here this morning is what does that look like for us? How do we as a church really get our minds around the responsibility of advocating for the fatherless in our community? Well, we said there's 340 kids, that's a lot. But what if we narrowed our focus? What if we narrowed our focus to just one? And that's what we've done. I wanna invite Jason and Carson to come forward. Uh, you all have heard from the college ministry a couple of weeks ago, and we told you we'd be bringing more to your attention here uh, on Orphan Sunday. And one of the things that I think is great is this partnership that the college ministry has led out on and is bringing to the attention of our church of ways that we can advocate for one particular child 
in our community. And so Jason and Carson are, come up, are gonna come up and show you a few more details in terms of what that looks like. We're gonna show a video and after that video, I'll come up and wrap up our time. So Jason, why don't you lead us out here? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, like you said, my name is Jason Simon. If we haven't gotten a chance to meet yet, I'm the student minister here. I work with our college students. I work with our high school and middle school students. Um, but I'm up here today, not just to talk to you about that, but um, to share with you guys about something that our college ministry specifically is kind of leading out on, which I'm really excited about. Um, that's why we've got Carson up here. He's one of our college students. You guys will learn about him in a minute. But um, we are, um, like Jeremiah said, we are passionate about about leaning into the places in our society that are tough, like areas that are hard. And our college ministry has stepped up in a big way to partner with this organization that's called Hope Local. Okay, and I know those statistics that Jeremiah just shared with you are heavy. When you start hearing those numbers, they sound very sad. Um, they can make you feel just kind of like deflated. Um, and that's true, and we need to feel the weight of that. But at the same time, we need to understand the amount of love and compassion and power that is the God that we serve. So while those statistics are heavy, um, we believe they are filled with hope. We believe they are areas where God can shine his light, where we can lean in together. Hope Local helps us do that. So they're, a, they're an organization that does a lot of wonderful things in this area, but specifically what we are working on them with is this initiative they have called Hope Now. Um, you can get a card when you leave on the way out that'll tell you a little bit more about that. But essentially what Hope Now does is it matches us with one child from our community. Uh, we told you about this a couple weeks ago if you were here, and we said, hey, there are gonna be some tangible things for us to do. There are gonna be some things for you to, to leave this place and go and do to advocate for this young lady named Monica, this 15-year-old girl in our community, a stone's throw from this church who doesn't have a family. We believe she has a family. Let me correct that. Let's just correct the verbiage on that. We believe she has a family. They just haven't met her yet. And that's what we're gonna do. That's what we're praying towards. So our first step that we told you a couple weeks ago was, hey, let's pray. So the three things we've been praying for Monica, first of all, we have been praying um, that she would come to know Jesus, that she would know the love and light that is Jesus Christ and the life she has, the hope she has, that she has a heavenly father. That is our number one prayer request. We have been praying that she would find a forever family, believing that someone here in this room or someone within our connections or in some way we are gonna be able to get her connected with this family that God has set out for her. But then also we've been praying that God would help heal Monica's heart from all this trauma that she's walked through to be a 15-year-old girl in her position, um, the strength that she has to, to press on every day, to hold on to hope is beautiful. And we are praying that that process of healing continues even into the family that she's called into. We're praying for that family right now that their hearts would be being made ready to meet Monica. Guys, prayer is the work. So please, please keep that at the very top of your list every day. I mean, we, your college ministry, we are doing that. We are praying for her. Um, and we encourage you to do the same. But we also have some tangible kind of next steps that we can lean into today. So Carson can tell you guys a little bit more about that. Yes, hello. So, yeah, so as Jason said, the prayer is going to be our foundation through, throughout this entire process. Um, but we do have some more tangible things that we're going to be um, implementing now. And so the main thing is going to be uh, advocacy. And so uh, Jeremiah talked about that a little bit. But uh, today we're really going to launch um, Monica's video, which we're going to show shortly. And we're just asking all of you to guys uh, to share Monica's story on your social media page. Um, and we're gonna plan on doing that at the end of the service and kind of getting it all out there at the same time so that um, this video just goes viral and everyone hears about it. Um, 
But even in addition to that, just talking to family, friends, and coworkers um, about, about Monica and sharing her story. And then um, even, as, you know, even as we talked about already, if, if you feel like your family's in a season to where you can adopt, you know, uh, that, that's, that's something to, to step out into with faith. So um, I guess just being a part of the college ministry and um, getting to be part of the group that's taking the lead on this, it's just really, personally, I just love how this is God's heart, you know, and, and we're getting to see that, we're getting to live that out. Um, you know, I just think really from the beginning of the Bible, just with God's chosen people, the Israelites, and the way that he he rose up these people to, to live in the crossroads of the earth where they can not only make God's name known, but to be those people that care for the orphan, the fatherless, the widow, the poor. And uh, we see that still today with us. And, I, you know, we're called to be a kingdom of priests, you know, people that are different, people that uh, notice the overlooked, that notice the outcast. And, um, yeah, so it's just so cool to be um, stepping into that and just recognizing that it's not even it's more than just a command, you know, it's, it's a blessing, it's a joy, and having been, uh, you know, grafted into God's family, um, adopted as well, you know, just in that, in that sense, uh, just being able to pray for that for Monica, but also for her physical family here on the earth, and uh, so we're gonna, we're gonna show her video um, right now, and like I said, we're gonna all plan on sharing it at the same time at the end of the service, so. My name is Monica. I'm 15 years old. I like to do sports, basketball and volleyball mainly, read, and I like to hang out with people and animals. I would like to go to Howard Payne University for college when I get older. I actually want to be a cop so I can save people's lives. I like helping people out if they need help. I would really like to be adopted because it would be life-changing for me and I would love to have a forever family. I would pick a family that would treat me with respect as I treat them with respect and spend time with me. I would like to have a lot of brothers and sisters go get my nails done and stuff like that with my mom. And to have a dad play basketball with me. I think you could pray for me so that I won't get rejected multiple times again. Having a family would mean everything to me. That's such a powerful video that hopefully brings it to home for all of us. It's one thing to give statistics, it's another thing to give it a name. And so for our church, the name's Monica. And so what does that mean for us? Jason and, and, and Carson did a great job of introducing it and re reminding you of some of those things. Um, grab one of these cards on your way out today and put it somewhere where you're gonna see it a lot. Put it on your bathroom mirror, in your car, and every time you see this picture, I mean, pray for her. Um, and, and Jason did a great job of reiterating what we're praying for first and foremost, that she would know no matter what circumstances she's already faced and no matter what brokenness she's experienced in her own family, that she would know she has a loving father and she would give her heart to him. That's, that's our prayer. And then we pray that she would find that family photo, right? That, that time for her to see 
every night when she goes to bed and every morning when she wakes up and I belong, I'm cared for, I'm loved, that she would have a, a consistent reminder that she's worth more than her circumstances. You know, the, this partnership with Hope Local is phenomenal. And, and just so you're clear, the, the commitment is not, oh, well, a family from our church will, will step up to adopt her. It's our church is gonna advocate for her. Like, we're gonna be her her ambassadors. We're going to be somebody that really encourages her. Now, it might be that somebody within our church feels called to do that, which would be awesome. But the commitment is to be those advocates because it's so hard for these stories to get out there and these needs to get out there. And so uh, there are a lot of different ways that we're going to serve as her advocate over the next several months or however long it takes. And one of them I'll give you more details on later at the conclusion of the service. But part of it's just sharing that video and letting a wider net of people understand who she is and what the needs are and us championing her message. But, but I encourage you to do so because it's so vitally important. And, and I know that there's a chance that, that she might end up watching the service or is watching the service right now. And so before I, I continue, I just wanna let you know, Monica, that if you're tuning in, uh, we love you and you are valued and we are here for you and you are worth more than your set of circumstances. And so we will continue to be your advocates and this is a family for you. And so I wanna encourage each of you to make that sort of a commitment. And I want us to all do so mindful that championing such a message is championing the gospel. It's the essence of the gospel, is it not? Right, that, that the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God taking on flesh and dwelling among us is a definitive statement of him telling each and every human heart, you are worth more. And so I pray that as we champion the cause and advocate for the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, the hungry, wherever it is that God would send us, we do so in such a manner that brings all of us back to the beauty of God's grace in this gospel. I assure you, church, there's, there's plenty of work that we need to commit ourselves to, but I assure you it is meaningful. I know it is difficult, but I assure you it will bring us into a greater love and devotion for a father that sees every detail of our lives and equips us to go and to serve him in every corner of this earth. And so let us do so with passion, with grace, and a commitment to be his voice, to be his hands and his feet, so that the world around us and everyone we meet can hear that beautiful promise you're worth more because Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope of a gospel that reminds us of just how deeply we are loved and how deeply we are valued. And for any human heart that is gathered in this room or joining us online, I pray that you would help them see and be encouraged once again that they are fearfully and wonderfully made that you have not forgotten them, you have not overlooked them, they do not go unnoticed, and that you are there with them. And so, so Father, whatever circumstances we face, we don't need to fear, because you see just how worthy we are. And Father, may we celebrate that grace, may we celebrate that love that we have found in you, and may we go and declare this message of hope to the world and the community around us. And today we pray specific prayers for Monica. We pray that her heart and her soul would be comforted by your love and your grace. Father, that you would lead her to the family that you have in store for her, that you would raise up the hearts and souls of those who are ready to open up their home and open up their lives in such a way that demonstrates 
your love and gives her a glimpse of your care, your concern. So we pray for that. For each of us that are here today, Father, wherever you send us, whatever you call us to, Father, may we do so not out of fear, but out of confidence, knowing that you go before us, that what you lead us into <clears throat> is to love well, to love the neighbor, to love the orphan, the widow, the beggar. So Father, make us ready to serve you fully. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen and amen.